My message today is entitled, Deferred Rewards. Several years ago, my wife gave a testimony in church about how God faithfully brought her through a miserably long trial when she wanted to give up. Anybody been there before? She shared how God gave her strength to continue and surrounded her with supporting friends when she was the object of an insecure leader who tried unjustly and unfairly to discredit her. Her testimony continued with her eventually being able to thank God for the trial. How many know us the Holy Spirit if you can thank God for the challenges that you're in? She thanked God for the trial because of all that she experienced in that situation has now made her a compassionate and very effective leader that listens to her people that work for her and come alongside of her. It is great when things come full circle and we can see the results of lessons learned through difficult times in our lives. It's awesome when we can see how difficult times are connected to some type of training that God is equipping for us here on earth. But what about the times when we don't see the connection? What about the times when there's no immediate or even eventual application in our life? How do we handle the times that just continue with injustice or pain or unfair things happening to us? And how do we preserve, persevere when almost everything inside of us tells us to give up because there's no end to the suffering in our lifetime. Our flesh, our logic, works in a way to resist hard times. By nature, we lack perseverance when there is no immediate reward or relief from pain. We see this playing out all over society now, don't we? You ever hear of the word entitlement? Right? And you hear people, I'll take a job, but I want to start at the highest pay. I don't want to have to work weekends or nights or overtime. I want to head to a four-day work week now. We think it's just this new generation. Listen, it's the flesh. The flesh does not want to have to submit. The flesh does not want to work hard. The difference is that there's less people following God now. That's the difference. And so since there's less people following God, they're following their flesh, which has always been there. It's the same thing that challenges us, and now people are letting their flesh speak instead of their spirit. That's why we're seeing it more in society. It's not a bunch of people are come up with something new or they're more lazy. It's just more people are submitted to their flesh instead of the spirit. So how do we handle that? How do we persevere? I mean, everything says it's not worth the fight. Let's just give up. It's never going to change. Our flesh resists hard times. By nature, we lack perseverance when there is no immediate reward or relief from pain. It is only by God's grace that we are able to continue in the face of great adversity. But how do we continue if there seems to be no reward for our efforts? I mean, we all work for pay. We work for pay, we work for affirmation, we work to be, what all those things, but how do we, if there's no reward, how do we continue? No relief for our pain. No end for our mistreatment or no end for persecution. The truth of the matter is that the life that we are living now is the beginning of our eternal life. Okay? 
Galatians 6, verse 7 says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man or woman sows, that he or she will also reap. Listen to this. Everything that we sow into this life here now will be reaped, will be reaped in some future part of our lives. Some things are reaped here on earth, on this side of heaven. And many things will be reaped in eternity. For some things we claim our reward early. We see how our trial prepares for service. We understand why God put us through a difficult time so we could help others in a similar time. We make the connection maybe to why we had to endure such hostility from others. But there are certainly other times when our trials are continued and we struggle to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. Amen. It's in these times, brothers and sisters, that we must realize that our reaping time is set to eternity. We think that if it doesn't come back, we must be doing something wrong. We, some of the seeds that we sow will not be reaped until we get into our eternal lives. If you can catch hold of this revelation, it will change your life. Listen, God will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you also will reap. This is a solid truth in Scripture. It will indeed come to pass. Therefore, if you never see the reaping come to pass, in your lifetime on earth, then understand that you are reaping for eternity. It's just that we live in such a society that we expect immediate results and immediate gratification. Now those of you who have veteran lives, like myself, understand when there was no microwave and no VCR and no... You remember when you had to wait till Saturday just to watch cartoons on TV? There was the fast food, all that stuff that came along. It didn't look like that now. It was trained us that we need immediate results. And conversely, we think if we sin and nothing happens to it, then we get away with it. Because there wasn't an immediate consequence. That's part of our flesh and part of our nature. Our society expects immediate results, immediate gratifications, immediate consequences. How many know that not everything is immediate? But everything will come to pass eventually. Everything you sow, you eventually reap. When you truly understand this biblical law in nature, you will appreciate the grace of God in the most life-changing way. Galatians 6, verse 8. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. God's Word tells us that everything we do either reaps, which means to bring it in, to bring in the harvest. Everything we sow either reaps corruption or everlasting life. This means that when we complain, I know I'm not the only one who does this, but when we complain, or doubt, or argue, or give in to temptation while we are going through trials. It all gets put into the corruption that we can expect to reap. Ouch. 
This realization changes things quite dramatically, doesn't it? This means that we have some rough times coming to us because whatever a man does, he also reaps. Think for a moment about the times that you have complained or doubted or gave in to temptation to sin because you thought you deserved some relief for your flesh. Every one of your actions should expect to be reaped. This should bring a godly sorrow to your soul and probably a fear of what you might expect to reap. This is why God calls us to repentance. And it is why Jesus talked about repentance so much. Repentance is not a one-time action where you say you were wrong and you apologize for your sins. It's living with the pain that you are wrong. When I first got married, I was not a good husband. I didn't like conflict. So whenever, whenever we would fight, as all marriages fight, and argue or discuss, whatever you want to say, and I knew I was in trouble because I did something wrong, I would just say, honey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Because I didn't want to deal with the pain. So you say, I'll forgive you eventually, but right now you're going to sit in your pain. And we laugh, but that's exactly what God does. God doesn't want us to just apologize and move on because we need to understand the pain that we cause. That's what repentance is. It's not saying, I'm sorry, let's move on. God, I messed up. Yes, you did. God, I affected my relationship with you. Yes, you did. We need to understand the pain we cause. Why? So that we don't repeat it. I love my wife. My wife has helped me to become a better man of God by speaking to what I, me to what I needed to hear and not what I wanted to hear. It's the same thing that God does in our lives. Listen, repentance is both an attitude and an action. Repentance is the deeply felt sorrow in your heart knowing that you let God your Father down. Repentance is a pain that you feel because you know you gave in to weakness instead of continuing to trust God for strength. Repentance is turning away from an easy downhill road that leads to sin and turning back towards the more difficult and narrow road that leads to righteous living. It's not easy to be a Christian, right? I know it's probably politically incorrect to say this, but the Christian life ain't for sissies. Right? It's difficult. We cannot do it in our own strength. We have to trust God. We have to keep admitting that we're wrong, which our flesh does not want to do. But it's the only way we can say, God, I want to become more like you. Do whatever you have to do in me to do that. Repentance is a constant attitude, a daily action, a conscious choice. We must continue to turn from our sins and from our temptations and turn to God. It is a constant choice because our flesh continually is leading us to take the easy way. Now listen to this. If our flesh never relents, then we too must never stop repenting. We must continually turn to God and walk to Him. But if we do repent, we see a miraculous thing happen. Acts 3.19 says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, 
so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you understand what this means? When we repent, our sins are blotted out. Think of it this way. Think of your sins as seeds that you plant and you expect them to bring a harvest to you of whatever you planted. Good seeds bring pleasing harvests and bad seeds bring, bring bad returns. Every time you sin, even if you think you got away with it or even if you think that it didn't affect anybody but yourself, every time you sin, you're planting a seed and you're expecting God to send you a bad return on what you sowed based on the biblical law of sowing and reaping. However, your sins, if your sins are blotted out by God, when you repent and turn to Him, this changes the reaping process. It's as if God pulls the bad seeds right out of the ground that you planted. There's no guarantee of a bad harvest. There may still be natural consequences to our poor choices and actions, but there is no shame, there's no condemnation that's driving you away from God because you held on to that sin. Because we're set free in repentance when God blots, blots out our sins. This is why Jesus calls all of us to repent. Now listen, we all have bad seeds in the ground. And because of His love for us, He greatly desires to extend His grace upon us all if we would just turn to Him in thought and in word and in deed. This is where God's grace is amazing. We are given the opportunity for eternal life with the Lord upon our repentance and our choice to follow Him. Now think about that for a moment. At any point, our lives could be snatched away by sickness, by a disease, by a tragedy, or by a sudden accident. In fact, we could face the unfortunate consequences of someone else's choice to sow sin. After all, many innocent people die daily at the hands of someone else's poor choices. Yet what God does, as the Bible says, is God holds back the devourer in our lives on a daily basis because of His grace. If you ever go to God and you don't know what to thank God for, understand that God is holding back the devourer in your life. You have no idea what car collision or what tragedy or things that could happen that God is daily holding back because of His amazing grace. In fact, God speaks to the prophet Malachi to state what He does for us when we trust Him completely with our giving. Malachi 3.11 He says, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. You see, when we repent... God pulls up our bad seeds. And when we trust God and give unselfishly to His work, as in the context for this verse, God stops the enemy from pulling our, our good seeds from the ground. God is doing a tremendous work in each of our lives every day, and especially in ways that we cannot even see and don't even realize. 
Think about this for a minute. We all have sown bad seeds at times. We all should have bad harvests coming to us. But our, but because of God's amazing grace, He gives us more days upon the earth. Why? It's so we have the opportunity to repent and change the type of harvest that we can expect. There are so many people that live their lives thinking that God's grace gives us extra time in our lives so that we can enjoy life and all its pleasures. That is their main motivation for living. But the truth of God's grace is that He gives us extra time on this earth to repent and turn completely to Him. Wherever you are in your walk, if God brought you through this door, it's because God wants to speak this truth to you. So that as we repent and turn to Him, no matter what we have done, no, it doesn't matter. When we turn to Him, we can now look forward to the harvest instead of fearing it. It is with this perspective that one realizes that repentance is the greatest gift of grace. Because it opens the door of salvation to us and it brings us closer to God. Out of shame and condemnation, the things that we've done, the bad seeds that we've sown have pushed us away when we start to tell ourselves that God does not want me to be near Him. That it's too late, that I've done too much. But repentance says, God says, come here. I want to refresh you by times in my presence. I want to convert you and blot out your sins. I want to take that condemnation and that shame and that guilt off your life so that you can live victoriously in my grace. Repentance is the greatest gift that God gives us. When you see repentance as a gift instead of as an obligation, then you begin to understand the heart of God. It is His grace that keeps the doors open for each of us to turn from our sins and to turn to Him. Let us take advantage of every day that we have so that we can grow in our love of God and in all of His creation by planting good seeds into the ground. And understand that not every seed we plant is for us. Do you know that? How come I'm not seeing return? Because a lot of the seeds we plant have nothing to do with us. Think about a farmer. The overwhelmingly vast number of seeds that he plants are for others and not solely for himself or for his family. It's the same for us. Once we have a secure faith in Jesus Christ, our focus should be on others. In fact, the Bible says this. You all know this. The Lord is my shepherd. What's the next verse? I shall not want, right? Because I'm completely secure in Him. I'm completely secure. And so since He's my shepherd, since I'm not in want, now I can focus on the needs of others. Now I can sow seeds for them. Even if it gets nothing back to me, it doesn't matter. I don't need to reap anything because I, have, I am not in want. John 4, verse 37. For in this the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. One of the beautiful things about the body of Christ as God has designed it is that many are blessed because of the unselfish sowing of others. There are many good seeds that we sow that we may never see the fruit of our actions, but you can be assured 
that someone has reaped the blessing for it. Think of this church. This is the oldest church in Roscom. We're coming up on 150 years. Do you know how many churches have opened and closed during that time? The number of churches no longer continue. Do you know why? Because people sowed by faith with their giving, with their commitment, with their prayers for us to still be here. Because of someone else's sowing, we are here. Because of someone else's devotion and prayer, God brought Nancy and I up here. Just as God has brought all you. Someone else sowed and we have reaped the blessing. Amen? How about that for amazing grace? Someone is able to reap from someone else's sowing. This is how the mission field receives its harvest. When men and women walking in obedience to God give to brothers and sisters around the world like we do in the ministries we support, for example, in Gaza and in India. These are treacherous places to live for our fellow members of the family of God. Did you hear what I just said? We need to stop thinking of them as people on the other side of the world. They are our family. How many people know it turns up the volume in you when there's a threat against your own family? Do you understand that? Do you understand there's threats against our family in India right now and in Pakistan and in Africa and in Central America and in Gaza, all over the place? They are our family. They don't have the opportunities and the blessings that we have here. They live in poverty, many of them. They have little freedom. Persecution is a daily reality. In both Gaza and India, people are killed all the time. Why? Just because they believe in Jesus. We complain because we lose some of the many freedoms that Christians once had here. But our family members around the world are dying for their beliefs and living in horrible conditions, completely abandoned by their governments. Completely. The truth of the matter is that their steadfast faith in light of the persecution, their trust in God, their boldness to be a witness in spite of that stuff is an encouragement to us if we take the time to get to know them personally. Therefore, we see members in the family of God are able to mutually bless one another. We bless them by our giving and by our prayers. They bless us by their faith, by their witness to continue to endure and face persecution. They bless us. It's a mutual blessing where one sows and another reaps. This is how a family works. And it is all by God's design. But all families break down when members begin sowing only for themselves and not for others. The same is true for the church. This sinful practice, you heard me talk about it again and again, about the prosperity gospel that I'm going to give so God can give to me, a total perversion of the Word of God. But it's going all over churches. There's some places in our, in our area that practice this as well. It's a total perversion because what it's saying is, I'm going to sow and I want to reap what I sow. 
Instead of I'm going to sow and God, it's your will that you bless someone else. Even if I sow and I never see it, I know that someone is being blessed. Much of the American church has turned into a greedy and broken family that's primarily interested in itself and its needs. As a result, our missionary brothers and sisters around the world are having a much harder time raising money to meet their needs of the people that God has called them to serve. Giving is way down. I One of the reasons why Nancy and I were, con, were confirmed in, in, in coming here is that this was a mission-based church. We support missionaries all over the world. Not every church does that. Understand that. Not every church spends so much time in prayer and communicating and sowing a good amount so missionaries can, in our family continue to do the work. It's only by faithful saints sowing unselfishly into others that God's work around the world is able to be realized. We sow so that our family can reap. Amen? God's kingdom grows through grace. And God desires to give to each of us as we obey Him and follow His commandments to love one another. Now sometimes... God rewards us right here on earth with a tangible blessing like a good friend or peace or good health. But many times God seeks to give us an even greater reward by allowing us to reap in eternity instead of receiving our full reward here on the earth. Matthew 5.11 Jesus said, Blessed are you, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my sake. Now you might think, why am I blessed if someone's persecuting me? Because you're thinking of that immediate reward, what's happening to me right now, and God's saying, don't worry about that. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, God promises us not just a reward, but a great reward in heaven. When we undergo persecution and trust God for our strength and keep our hearts pure in the process, we may never see our reward here on earth. Knowing that we are, but we should know that we are pleasing the Lord through our obedience. In fact, several times in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the importance and honor of deferred rewards. Matthew 6, verse 1. Jesus said, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. The fact that we get rewards in heaven should bring great anticipation for our eternity. Verse 2, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you. Do not, don't announce it to everybody what you did, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. They're seeking the attention and the praises from men. Assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, they have the reward. What's the reward? 
They're being affirmed by others. They're being appreciated by others. They're being noticed by others. And they're feeding off of that. Matthew 6, verse 3. Jesus continues, But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will Himself reward you openly. You see, we have a choice. Here it is. We have a choice of when we get to claim our rewards. If we tell others about everything we do, our reward is the praise of men. A temporary feeling of pride here on earth. However, that is our full reward. But if we give in secret and refuse to make a spectacle of our giving or any of our good deeds, then God puts this reward in our heavenly account that He will one day grant to us in eternity. In other words, all the things that you have done for others but got no appreciation or no thanks or no publicity, these all go into your heavenly account as long as you didn't complain about not being noticed for it. You see, every time you are tempted to complain in words or even in thoughts that your actions should have been appreciated openly, what's happening is this. Listen. The devil is moving funds that should have been headed for your heavenly account and he's transferring them into your earthly account. Don't let them do that. Let this realization of God's deferred reward program change you and your understanding of how you give your time and your talents and your treasure for God's kingdom work in this earth. Amen? But God's deferred rewards program extends to more than just our giving. It also affects the daily disciplines of our faith walk. Matthew 6, 5. Jesus continues, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen and heard by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. There are some people who pray beautiful but ineffective prayers because they have the wrong motivation when they pray. It's almost like they're showing off about how well they can pray. I'm not, nothing against beautiful prayers, but it's the motivation I'm talking about. They want to be seen by others instead of being heard by God. Listen, God looks more at your heart than who is praying. He's not only listening to your words, He's looking at the source where those words came from. Those who knowingly or unknowingly are fueled by the praise of others for how well they pray, have the wrong motivation for coming to God. And when you receive the praise of men for something you did, you get your reward in full here on earth if you're seeking after that. You see, if people compliment you for anything that you do in service to the Lord, be polite. But whether you say it out loud or not, always make sure to give all the glory to God. After all, a genuine prayer or a genuine act of service, service that you offer is your spirit communing with God. 
It's not about you. It's not about your words. It's not about your talents. It's all about God and His Spirit moving through you. Matthew 6, verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut the door, blocked out all the distractions or anything that's trying to pull attention from you, and pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. God stresses the importance of our alone time with Him. If we're praying to God, we don't need others to hear every thought that we have or everything that God has put on our hearts. In fact, He tells us that when we pray to Him in the secret place, that He sees in secret and will reward us openly one day. Therefore, whether it be with our giving, our praying, or even our disciplines such as fasting, which is covered later in this chapter, God desires us to know the difference between the rewards given to us on earth and the rewards given to us in heaven. From God, our Father. Matthew six nineteen through 21 Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. Jesus encourages us with this truth. There are certainly times when you will see and realize His blessings on this earth. Praise God for His blessings. But there are also times where when we are appreciated and affirmed by others, we understand that. But God gets the glory. Our heart should be set on those things from above. Appreciation from others is nice, but it should not feed us. Knowing that we're following our God, the Father who loves us, is what feeds our spirit. That is where the greatest treasure remains. Let us all keep our focus on our eternal home as God continues to work through us in any way He sees fit on this side of heaven. Let us give our lives to God to use us as He chooses. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.